0: episode 151 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. why do you have to ruin everybody's night? Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. Now, uh, I was not watching the Oscars. I had uh, been watching something on my DVR, Walking Dead, actually. I'm a couple weeks behind and I flipped over and I saw, coming up next, Chris Rock. And I'm like, I'm a huge Chris Rock fan. Anybody who listens to this show knows I'm a huge fan of comedy. And Chris Rock is among my all-time favorite comedians. I've enjoyed his comedy my entire life, basically. I mean, maybe not my entire life because I am only about 10 years younger than Chris. But uh, I love Chris Rock. It's one of my favorites. So I, I'm like, all right, I'll stick around for Chris Rock to do uh, his bit because I know he'll probably roast the crowd and it'll be funny and entertaining, and then I'll go to bed. So he comes out, he's making jokes about everybody, Bardem, his wife, then he makes a joke about Will Smith's wife, which I thought I didn't even get, didn't think it was a great joke. <laughs> uh, I was like, wait a minute, was she in G.I. Jane one? I don't, I didn't remember that. I thought that was Demi Moore. And then Will Smith walks up onto the stage and smacks him in the face. And then goes back to his job. I thought it was a joke. I thought this was like part of an act because the joke wasn't that great. And maybe this was their way of making that joke. Uh-uh. Real. Um, And I had been on the radio on Sunday afternoon and saying the only movie that I saw that is nominated was uh, King Richard with Will Smith. And I thought he deserved the Oscar for the role he played because he really disappeared into that part. And it was a great movie, frankly. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Uh, I'm not going to boycott Bill Will Smith, but I do think Will Smith owes Chris Rock an apology. And I think the uh, producers of the Oscars owe us an apology. Uh, again, I only watched about an hour of it, but the editing was horrible. First of all, they when there's the one real moment happening in American television, probably in the last 20 freaking years, forget about reality TV. None of that, in my opinion, is real. You got a a celebrity basically having a meltdown on stage, a a major celebrity. I mean, Will Smith, they don't get much bigger than Will Smith, right? Having a major meltdown on TV gets physical with another major star on TV. And what does the Oscars do? Uh, They just make it so we can't hear it in America. Everywhere else in the world, they heard it. And by now, I'm sure you've all heard it. Um, But not here in America because our virgin ears can't handle the F-bomb being said on national television in a real moment it was a newsworthy moment let them play the f-bomb okay it's fine but then you know i i watched and i continue to watch and great good on quest love i'm going to check out the documentary that he won the best um uh, documentary for which is summer of soul and i've been meaning to watch that it's been on one of my streaming services i can't remember which one but i it's on my list of of things to watch but now i definitely got to watch it um they, they go on in this night, and the editing was ridiculous. So they do a, a Pulp Fiction reunion, and they show John Travolta and Uma Thurman dancing in the movie Pulp Fiction. And then Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman, and John Travolta come out on stage, and John Travolta and Uma Thurman are doing that batusi that they were doing you know, in the movie, and you'd think you'd want to see that, right? They kept cutting away to the crowd. I, and then when Will Smith was giving his acceptance speech, they were cutting away. I I, I don't know. It was a, it was a a moment of reality in American. Television, you'd think that they'd want us to see it, and this is the problem, you know. And and I'm going to rant on this a little bit because I think this is the problem in America today is the problem with news. I mean, uh, you know, John Stewart has this great show on Apple TV. If you have Apple TV, check it out. It's called The Problem with John Stewart. I'm giving it a free plug here, but you know, I'm sure that he's not getting any more uh, listeners or viewers for it. But but he did a whole piece on the media and. He makes the point that the media only shows you what the media wants you to see, but I got to tell you, last night I wanted to see something and the media wasn't showing it to me and that bothered me, but it goes to Jon Stewart's point that news in this country is produced and I've been a part of that problem my entire career. I've said it. Uh, I've said it before on this podcast. I've said it on TV. I'm good TV. That's why I keep getting asked back because I'm good at it and I make for good TV. Uh, I put in some conflict. I'm not afraid to mix it up on the air uh, and defend my beliefs, beliefs vigorously and effectively in a way that keeps people watching. Um, you know, watching the Oscars last night and how they try to shield us from something that might make us uncomfortable. I feel like the news kind of does that too, to an extent. They don't want to show us the reality on the ground in Ukraine. They're showing us, you know, kids having Spider Man and Batman coming and lead a little party in the train stations. They're not showing us the daily horrors of life down there for those kids. They're not, they, you know, they, they will occasionally say, "Please avert your eyes. We're about to show you something graphic," but they're not really showing us the horrors of war. We're hearing about fifteen thousand Russians dead. I don't even believe that. First of all. But, you know, what about the the civilian casualties? What has been going on there? We don't really know. They're not really showing that. It would be too uncomfortable for us in America. And, you know, watching the Oscars last night just brings that all full circle for me. They don't want you to see things in this country that'll make you uncomfortable. And it's time for us all to get uncomfortable. I know I've been making that point for the last couple of weeks. Stay uncomfortable, particularly when it comes to dealing with this war in Ukraine. Uh, I believe that we averted our eyes from the war in Afghanistan. We've averted our eyes for the war in Yemen. We've averted our eyes from some of the conflicts going on in Africa. We've we've just said, you know, this is not something we want to look at, and it hasn't shown up on our evening news. It hasn't shown up in our Twitter feed or our news feed on other social media sites. We haven't talked about it, and as a result. America has to, had no interest in engaging in these places and I believe that unless we stay engaged on Ukraine um we're going to we're going to lose focus of that too and you know before we know it, we're going to wake up and the Russians will be on the border of Poland now I have no faith in the you know Russian army I don't think the Russian army is the mighty force we once thought it was let's be clear we're seeing that right now Um, that said, we don't want NATO and the American army to be engaging with the Russian army and spark a nuclear conflict, which would destroy life as we know it on this planet. So it's a very difficult thing, but if we stay engaged, if we keep encouraging America and our NATO allies to do everything they can to help the Ukrainians, uh, that's a good thing for this country. That's a good thing for the world. That's a good thing for us to stay engaged with, to stay uncomfortable. So that's my message here. So I have no guest today. I've had a bad run the last three weeks of guests not showing up. And then I had another guest that was in studio. And for some reason, I'm locked out of that file. So I can't put that into this desk, into this uh, into the segment. We'll use him in a week or two. Uh, but you've got me. And I'm going to come back. I'm going to talk about Biden over there in uh, Poland last week and at the NATO summit uh, lots to talk about. Lots going on. I got to talk about Ketanji Brown Jackson's hearing. Um, so I'm going to take a quick break here. I'm going to come back. And I'm going to talk about some news. So stay where you are. All right. I'm back. Again. Uh, stay vigilant. Don't let anybody tell you to look away. So. Couple of things. Let's start with uh, the nomination hearings of Katanji Brown Jackson, and I'm not going to get too deep into this, but you know this racist dog whistle. Not, I mean, not even a dog whistle. Frankly, it is a loud scream from people like Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Marsha Blackburn on that committee, uh, even to the point where there's a senator in Indiana. Mike Braun, who you probably never heard of until now, or maybe you heard about this over the weekend, Mike Braun was giving an interview around the subject of Ketanji Brown Jackson where he suggested that Loving v. Virginia was wrongly decided. For those of you who are not law school graduate, Loving v. Virginia is the seminal case that said states could not ban interracial marriage. John Cornyn, during the Katanji Brown-Jackson hearing, suggested that gay marriage should not be a decision that the federal bench should be deciding on, that the Supreme Court should have decided on. I thought Katanji Brown-Jackson handled herself well in the face of that kind of questioning, she said that is the basis of a right. Uh, you know, John Cornyn was basically suggesting that. Well, I have a deeply held religious belief. Shouldn't I live in a country that accepts those beliefs? A little thing called the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. We should all read it again. Right? It it doesn't allow for the establishment of a national religion. John Cornyn. Just for the record. You could express it any way you want, but the country won't establish it as its law, as was the case in most European nations prior to our constitution, at the time of our constitution. Frankly, so watching those hearings and watching Ted Cruz and Marsha Blackburn asks, "What is a woman? Can you define a woman?" It reminds me of how bad Democrats are at messaging because you know if they want to make this election about gay marriage and interracial marriage, I mean, I I don't understand how no national Democrat is talking about how the Republican Party this weekend, two United States Senators, including John Cornyn, who I believe is the number two member of the United States Senate, came out and suggested, that very popular rights should be challenged by a Supreme Court justice. 75% of Americans support gay marriage. 75%. That includes a lot of Republicans. But more importantly, 95% of Americans support interracial marriage, which definitely includes a majority of Republicans. Almost all Democrats, a vast majority, Of independence, and more than a majority of Republicans support interracial marriage. And you want to have a conversation about whether or not the Supreme Court should be weighing in again on Loving v. Virginia. Let's have that conversation in November. This is why, America, I keep telling you, as much as I see the House of Representatives being lost in November, I do not believe the Senate is lost because the Republicans continue to be clown themselves with these social wars. And I get it. They're doing it to gin up their QAnon base because without that QAnon base, they can't even win the House back. They need those crazy kooks to come out and, and think that there's some sort of pedophilia ring in the Democratic Party, which is why Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz were questioning Judge Jackson about her record of sentencing people who were charged with child pornography, even though if you examine her sentences with all other judges, whether they be appointed by Republicans, Democrats, Trump, Clinton, Obama, it doesn't matter who appointed these judges, her sentences are right down the middle with all of them. They're not too far left or too far right. They're right down the middle of what those sentences should be. But they wanted to make a, and by the way, they didn't bring that up, right? They didn't talk about what the average sentence is. They talked about sentencing guidelines. They talked about what the prosecutors recommended, and we must always take what the prosecutor recommends. But they didn't talk about what the average sentence is based on all of the sentences in similar cases. And if they would have had that conversation, you would have seen that her sentences are right in line with the average sentencing of people in these cases because it's more than just the guidelines and the prosecutor's recommendation. There's also the parole board's recommendation. there are other circumstances, there are the victim circumstances. There are all sorts of other circumstances to consider in a five minute, you know uh, racist, homophobic, playing to the base question period, you're not going to really get to that, and they know that. And that was their, hey, QAnon followers, here we are. We're your guys. It's not just about Trump. It's about me, Josh Hawley, and me, Ted Cruz. And oh, Marsha Blackburn's going to ask, what is a woman? <laughs> can you define, can you define a woman? Give me a break. She is, she is, uh, seeking a seat on the United States Supreme Court. Okay? She is not applying to be a high school biology teacher. And, and I get it. The, the right wing in this country wants to have a long conversation about the three or four people in this country who happen to be transgender who are competing in the NCAA. And oh my God, what will we do if we allow those people to compete? What will we do? What will become of America? Just another one of these crazy, ridiculous, doesn't impact you. Forget about it. By the way, let me explain something to you. Most of what happens in the NCAA doesn't affect any of you. I don't care what sport your kids are playing right now. You know, Only 5%, 10% of them will play in college. So get over it, stupid, 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 stupid line of questioning, ridiculous issue that unfortunately resonates on the right. They make it seem like they're coming for your kid's spot on a college team, which, by the way, you're never gonna get. I, I look, I, I am a, I am the father of a parent who. Uh, I'm a, I'm a parent of a of a child athlete, and she's competed very hard. I I don't think she's going to play in college. She might, but I'll, I'll tell you a story about when I was a coach back in the day, and I'll tell you why this resonates. So I'm I'm coaching back in the day when my daughter was younger. First year she played travel soccer, and I'm the coach. I I'm far. I I can't coach anymore. I'm not skilled enough to coach her. She's actually well beyond what I could teach her. There's professional coaches. We have a great coach right now uh, working with her and her team, and she's fantastic. But at the time, they were nine, maybe they were eight, eight or nine years old, and it's the first year they're playing travel soccer. They played intramurals before that. They did this thing called the academy. Now we're playing travel. I'm the coach of the team. Volunteer. I'm not getting paid for it. I'm just doing it because you know I need somebody to do it. After one of the games, a parent corners me, yells at me for fifteen minutes because I left their daughter on defense the entire game because she was really good at defense, and suggested to me that I was ruining her future. Now uh, that's why this issue resonates because children, you know, parents of eight-year-olds are saying eight-year-old girls are saying, "God, I want my kid." to play uh, in the NCAA. I want to get a scholarship to, you know, you know wherever. I want to go to a D1 school. I want to go play at like Miami or, uh, you know, some Big Ten school. I, you know, and they're thinking, well, what happens if when she's getting ready to go to college, there's a transgender male she's competing against? Wouldn't that be unfair to my daughter? So the issue is going to resonate even though it doesn't even impact most people whose kids are playing sports. And from what we've seen, it's like a handful of people across the country. Yes, the NCAA should should come up with rules about, you know, how you can com- compete. Let's say you are a transgender student. What are the rules for you competing uh in 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 the gender you identify with? What is the rule? Uh, and there should be a rule. It can't just be I say I'm a woman today, so I'm going to go play. Uh, I'm going to go run track as a woman. There has to be something else, right? So uh, I don't think people make these decisions flippantly. I don't think anybody is deciding to change their gender so that they could get a college scholarship. I don't think that's happening. It's not happening. And in the very, very rare case where there is a transgender student, who becomes a Division One athlete? It's like a one in a million shot. I think I can think of one person in the entire nation that this impacts right now. One person who did not win the NCAA championship, by the way. She did compete. She did not win, but she was the only person. I think she she swam for. She was a swimmer for Penn she's not supposed to swim I, I I mean I I'm sorry it's just a stupid issue that is just distracting from real things going on in the country but you know what it's resonating with some people for the reason I just told you every single parent of a soccer kid under the age of like 13 thinks their kid's gonna get a scholarship to go to Ucla you know and be a top player and and very few of them will get that chance so ask the question what is a woman marsha Blackburn and try to get those votes if that's the issue you're voting on, I think you're lost to me anyway. I, I, I think you're too stupid for me to uh, convince that that there's a better <laughs> that that I have a better way of looking at the world. But that was the hearing. It was a it was a a clown show of racism and dog whistles and appealing and clowning to the base and you know you know begging to get on you know Fox News and other right-wing outlets so that you could try to become president. And none of those people, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Marshall Blackburn, Lindsey Graham, none of those people are going to be president. They're never going to be president, but they're going to continue to dream. It's kind of like the college scholarship thing, right? We're just talking about how most kids won't get into college on a scholarship. All of those people on that committee, all of them, I'll tell you right now, they all think they're going to be president of the United States, or at least they're going to be their party's nominee. None of them are going to be. Josh Hawley is never going to be the Republican nominee for president. Ted Cruz is never going to be the Republican nominee for president. Lindsey Graham once said of Ted Cruz, if you murdered him on the floor of the Senate and all 100 senators were present, you wouldn't get somebody to to, to testify against the murderer. That's how badly liked he is in his own Republican caucus in the Senate. Lindsey Graham, you ain't ever going to be president, ever, never, ever. So stop clowning for the, for the cameras and start doing what's right by this country, please. Damn it. It's horrible. All right, let me just spend a few more minutes before I uh, end this podcast today. And again, it's a short and sweet one because I have no guest. Uh, next week, I will have a guest. I've got it all worked out this week. But um, let me just spend a, a few minutes talking about the president's trip to Poland and some of the mistakes he made, obviously saying that Putin cannot remain in power was a bit of a blunder. He uh, should not have uttered those words. It, it 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 reeks of regime change. The White House quickly walked it back. Um, he spoke to uh, the 82nd Airborne and said, "You will soon see what's happening in Ukraine." That was kind of scary for him to say. Clearly, he didn't mean it. Um, look, Joe Biden is in his Joe Biden's eighty. Okay, he's eighty years old. He's gonna slip up. It is what it is. I Do I think that he's consciously doing it? No. Do Do I think that he's not fit to serve? Of course not. I think he's perfectly fit to serve. But like any 80-year-old, things slow down. Look, I'm 50. Things are slowing down for me now. Uh, everybody who's listening to this who's gotten older, you know. You know what happens when you get older. You slip. And maybe you're not as careful as you need to be. Now, I think that Joe Biden needs to be a lot more careful when he's on the world stage because words matter on the world stage, particularly in this hyper-sensitive international environment where you have Vladimir Putin itching to get into World War III, it appears. So Joe Biden can't be making mistakes like that that you know give him reason to up the ante. Now, beyond that, I thought that his trip abroad was very successful. He's holding our allies together. They are giving more aid to the Ukrainians. He's sending a clear, strong message to the Russians. Do not even think about stepping onto NATO soil. And it appears to me that the Russians are, are pulling back in Ukraine to some extent. They've pulled back from Kiev. Now, whether or not that lasts, I don't know. Whether this is a strategic retreat where they're going to regroup and come back, I don't know. But they've had some significant logistical problems in in, in Ukraine, and you know this this aura of invincibility of the Russian army is just not. It it's just not showing up. It's not. It, it it's clearly gone. Right, we we can't look at them the same way. I mean, if the United States was engaged in a conventional war with this army right now, I think we'd wipe them out in a week. Now, clearly, uh, if we ever got to that point, we would be, you know, done because you you don't really need to be precise with nuclear weapons. So, um, you know, we don't want to go down that road. But the Russians have forgotten the lesson they learned after the first Gulf War. If you remember, you know, the Berlin Wall came down before the First World War, but the Soviet Union collapsed after it. Completely collapsed. Because you saw the American army going into Iraq and defeating Iraq, which was using Russian technology, MiGs, and other Russian uh, armaments and systems. And we rolled over them in a week. And, you know, Iraq was supposed to have this, you know, tremendous army, a million men under arms and this elite guard they had, the Republican guard, they called it. Uh, And we rolled right over them. We rolled right over them. And it made it very clear that the United States military capability was far superior to the Russians. And I guess, you know, 30 years is a long time. And they saw our mistakes in the second Gulf War and they've seen our mistakes in Afghanistan and they thought they'd try their luck. Well, here we are. So, I think that all in all, the president had a successful trip to Europe, but he has to stick to the script when he's talking about international crises. Uh, and I get it, it's a minor slip with the eighty second airborne. Uh, it, it's a little bit more than a minor slip to say that Putin must go. All right. So, I hope you enjoyed this. Thank you for subscribing, liking, rating, and reviewing. I hope you didn't. I hope you enjoyed my best of last week. I don't put those up very often, but I had serious technical problems last week. Um, but uh, I'll be back next week to talk some more and uh, follow me on Twitter, Matt Christopher Hunter on Twitter. I'll be on TV a lot, be on the radio a lot, and I want to remind you now, as I always do, to seek the truth, question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.